Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 15.1 Bringing the Gods to Earth. You're trembling so much you're afraid you'll spill the flask of wine before you get to the shrine. The only thing going through your mind? Don't trip. Just make it to the top. The year is 1977 BC. You are a young priest and this is your first ceremony. The high priestess has given you a very important job. It's your job to fill the god's glass of wine in the shrine. You spent the last 15 years preparing for this moment. Your parents took you to the high priestess when you were only three. You were born on the summer equinox, and as such, were chosen to serve Nana at the temple and perform in the sacred rituals at the ziggurat. Now here you were, all grown up, and ready to perform your duties. There was one thing that the priestess and the priests of Nana had made very clear to you during your training. Don't screw up the ceremony. This ceremony was to invite Nana down to Ur to visit and bless the people. As you climb the stairs, you feel your palms begin to sweat, as you feel the eyes of the entire city of Ur on your back. The hot Mediterranean sun is beating down on you. The stairs seem to go on forever. You can feel your knees beginning to wobble, but you are determined to not mess this up. Finally, you reach the small room at the top. You take a quick look around. You don't have time to be a tourist up there. But you do notice there's a large bed with golden ornaments hanging off it, and all kinds of gold and silver trinkets, as well as plenty of food. The food is still steaming, as it was just brought up by the cooks right before you. On the bed, there is a beautiful young woman. She smiles at you as you walk in, and motions to the large golden goblet on the table next to the bed. Pour the wine in there. Her voice is soft but reassuring. She knows this is your first time in the ceremony, and that you are inevitably nervous. You nod and take a few steps to the table. Your hands are shaking as you pour the wine. But Nana must have known that people like yourself would be performing the ritual. The design of the goblet makes it much easier for you to pour the wine into than the one you had been training with. It has a wide rim and can easily hold all the wine in your flask. As you pour, you breathe a sigh of relief. You glance over at the young woman, and she has a smile on her face. She nods slightly and you nod back. When the flask empties, you walk backwards out of the room, as you were told you needed to do. You smile at the woman, turn, and begin the long walk down the stairs. But this time, you are not nervous. You are jubilant. You didn't screw it up. But you have to contain yourself, as you need to step on each step as you descend. As you descend, the priests begin burning incense, and the pleasant smoke fills your nostrils. As you reach the bottom, you glance back up. By now, 
the sun has moved just behind the shrine at the top, creating elaborate shadows that fall down the sides of the magnificent ziggurat. Nana must be pleased, you think to yourself, as the blue light glistens off the shrine. Surely she will descend from the heavens and visit Ur tonight. Blessings were sure to follow, and you cannot wait for the next ceremony. The structure that you just climbed was one that was common in southern Mesopotamia, but one of the oldest ones to still have remnants today. It is one of the oldest surviving structures in Mesopotamia, and is the 15th wonder of the ancient world, the Great Ziggurat of Ur. A mountain in the deserts of modern-day Iraq, the Great Ziggurat of Ur was a monumental structure in an area where there were almost no building materials around. But as always, before we get too far into the wonder itself, we need context first. Now there are a few things that we need to go over first before we understand the context of the Great Ziggurat of Ur. Like, who built it? What is a ziggurat? And what was its purpose? We will answer all these questions in turn, starting with the city of Ur. Ur was one of the most important cities in Mesopotamian history. It was also one of the oldest. We do not have time to cover all the important things that happened at Ur in this episode, but we will just mention the highlights. Archaeological records show that the first settlement of Ur was founded around 4000 BC, which is more than 6,000 years ago. That is a long time. From the time of the first settlement, Ur was an important trade city. Now if you look at a map of where Ur would be on today's world, you might wonder why this would be the case. But the world today did not look the same as it did 6,000 years ago. I do have comparative maps up on the website to make it a little easier to understand. But if you look at a map today and see where Ur is located, it looks slightly out of place. It sits just off the Euphrates River and just off the Persian Gulf, kind of out in the middle of the desert. But in 4000 BC, Ur was built both on the Euphrates River and the Persian Gulf. The Euphrates River has since changed course, as rivers do over time, and the Persian Gulf has subsided slightly in the 6,000 years between now and when Ur was founded. But at the time, Ur was ideally placed to be a center for trade, for people both coming down the river or up the Persian Gulf. This location made Ur flourish. The archaeological evidence shows that Ur may well have been the richest city of its time, which was the Early Bronze Age. Cities were still not that common in the world, but Ur was showing everyone the possibilities that cities could bring. In fact, from about 2030 to 1980 BC, Ur was regarded as the largest city in the world. Now, unfortunately, we don't have a census or anything from 6,000 years ago to confirm this, but it is definitely possible. Ur would also become the capital city of the Sumerian Empire, which would dominate southern Mesopotamia for hundreds of years. Ur was like most cities built in the Bronze Ages of Mesopotamia. Cities built around large religious structures called ziggurats. The leaders of these settlements and cities 
were most likely priest kings, men who were in charge of the worship of the gods, and thus were the most important men in the city. But the gods of the early Bronze Age cities of Mesopotamia were not like those of the classical empires of Greece, Rome, or Persia. Rather than having numerous deities that were worshipped, each city had a patron god. So while the people of Ur worshipped a number of gods, they had a ziggurat and temples only dedicated to one. The patron god of Ur was called Nana. Nana was the goddess of the moon. The moon was a very important celestial being to the ancient peoples all over the world. Civilizations all over the globe used the moon as a reference point for their buildings, their calendars, and to navigate. So the moon goddess was a very important goddess to the people of Mesopotamia. And the fact that Ur was her patron city helped with the city's prestige. The people of Ur, and most people of Mesopotamia, believed that their gods came from the mountains to their east, modern-day Iran and Pakistan. It seems that ziggurats were representations of the homes for the gods that people made in order to bring the gods to them. Now that we know a little bit about Ur and to whom the ziggurat was built, we can now answer the question of what is a ziggurat? Ziggurats were large artificial hills with a shrine on top to the patron deity of a city. They had large staircases leading up to the shrine where gifts would be left for the god or goddess. Now just a brief note about ziggurats before we move on. There were no chambers, passageways, or tombs inside the ziggurat. Ziggurats were solid structures, made more to represent a mountain than anything else. They had multiple levels, which made them look more like stepped pyramids than a smooth-sided pyramid like the Great Pyramid of Giza. However, unlike the Great Pyramid of Giza or the Temple of the Sun at Teotihuacan, ziggurats were not designed to get men up to the gods. Both of these other massive quote-unquote mountain-like structures were designed to get men or the pharaohs up to the gods. As we saw when we looked at the Great Pyramids, there were small slits cut into the solid rock that went from the pharaoh's burial chamber all the way up to the outside of the pyramid. This way, his spirit could escape the tomb and climb the sides of the pyramid to unite with the gods in the heavens. The Temple of the Sun at Teotihuacan was, as its name suggests, a temple. Worship of the gods happened up there, and its height put the priests closer to the gods. But ziggurats, by contrast, were designed to get the gods to come down to earth. On the summit of the ziggurat was not a temple for worship, but a shrine filled with gifts like food, water, a bed to sleep in, and whatever else the people thought the god needed. The peoples of Mesopotamia believed their gods to be just like them. They needed the basic necessities of life, and created people to provide these for them. As such, the people believed that the more elaborate the gifts and provisions they left with the gods, the greater his or her blessing would be on them and their city. Worship of the gods would take place in temples either around the ziggurat or throughout the city. 
and the steps on the sides of the ziggurat were not for priests to walk on for worship, but rather for the god or goddess to come down and move throughout the city. This way, the god or goddess could see what was happening in the city, and either bless the people or provide protection, depending on the situation. Now that we know the who, the where, the to whom, and the what about the great ziggurat of Ur, we can now look at the structure itself. The ziggurat was constructed by King Ur-Namu. Ur-Namu was the king of Ur around the end of the 21st century BC. Unfortunately for us today, we have no idea how big the ziggurat actually was once it was completed. We have estimates, but since only the first level remains today, we have no way of being sure how tall it actually was. I have some pictures of some artist representations of the completed ziggurat of Ur up on the website. The ziggurat base measures 64 meters or 210 feet in length, 45 meters about 150 feet wide, and we estimate about 30 meters or about 100 feet tall. What remains to us today, unfortunately, is the main first level of the ziggurat. We also have no idea as to the design of the shrine on top. Archaeologists have found bricks with blue glaze on them in the area, similar to the ones found on the Ishtar Gate. It would not be surprising if the shrine had a colored glaze to it. It would emphasize its importance and significance. The color would also make it a dazzling sight in the Mediterranean sun. While there were several staircases on the Great Ziggurat of Ur, the main grand staircase went from the front of the ziggurat all the way to the shrine at the top. If you have looked at the pictures, you can see that there were two other smaller staircases on the sides of the front of the ziggurat. All three of these staircases met at the top of the first layer. What these side staircases were for, we do not know. It's possible that they were a part of the ceremonies to give the god or goddess easier access down the sides of the ziggurat and more places to enter the city from. There are also elevated platforms on either side of the main staircase. Like these smaller staircases, what these platforms were used for we have no idea. But these were undoubtedly used in the ceremonies to the gods. It's possible that priests stood there, orchestrating the worship of the god during the ceremony, burning incense, doing whatever they needed to do. There were other staircases and rooms the further up you went on the ziggurat. And while the first level of the ziggurat wasn't hollow, there were some small rooms on the second level. One of these rooms was a kitchen, where food was prepared for the god. On the great ziggurat of Ur, the kitchen was located next to a side stairwell on the ziggurat's northwest part. This is the only other room that we know of that was a part of the great ziggurat of Ur. Around the ziggurat was the temple complex to the god. Here, there were temples for everyday worship, storehouses for supplies for the god, as well as housing for the servants of the god as well as for priests and priestesses. There was also a royal palace in this temple complex as well, as this operated as the administrative heart of the city. The great ziggurat of Ur was made entirely out of mud bricks, as we had noticed all the way back when we talked about the Ishtar Gate, 
in Episode 2. Fired mud bricks were the main building material in Mesopotamia, purely because there was nothing else around. Without stone or timber really at all in the area, the people of Mesopotamia had to find a different material to build with. One thing that was plentiful in southern Mesopotamia was the mud and clay from the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. So the Mesopotamians developed a quick way to make bricks out of mud from the riverbed. These bricks were cheap and a sturdy material that would last. Fired brick technology, once it was developed sometime in the mid-4th century BC, was what really allowed the first settlements of the Fertile Crescent to grow into cities. As we mentioned before, the Great Ziggurat of Ur was not hollow like the Great Pyramids or the Temple of the Sun of Teotihuacan. It was a solid structure. So the builders of the Great Ziggurat of Ur did something unique. They only fired the bricks that were used on the outer layer of the ziggurat. However, if you have taken a look at the pictures or have seen the Great Ziggurat of Ur before, you might notice or remember there are small square-shaped holes all throughout the base. And no, these are not windows. Nicknamed the weeper holes, these were inserted into the structure to allow the moisture from the interior to escape without damaging the fired bricks on the outside. And I can totally see why these were called weeper holes. When the temperature was lower, such as early in the morning, water would literally be dripping from these holes down the side of the ziggurat. There was also an advanced drainage system built in and around the ziggurat, which would carry rain or flood water away and maintain the stability of the structure. Just like the Great Pyramids and the Temple of the Sun at Teotihuacan, the Great Ziggurat of Ur was designed in alignment with the heavenly bodies. The shrine at the top of the ziggurat was aligned to face the northeastern skyline. And once a year, on the summer solstice, the sun would shine directly into the shrine. The Grand Staircase also was aligned with the summer sun, so the summer solstice would strike it head on. But what makes the Great Ziggurat of Ur even more impressive is something that is invisible to the naked eye, but shows the incredible intelligence of the ancient people of Ur. Archaeoastronomer James Q. Jacobs has made some fascinating discoveries about the orientation and the position of the Great Ziggurat of Ur. He discovered that the latitude for the Ziggurat was an accurate value for pi. And this was not an accident. The people of Ur and the Sumerian empires understood higher mathematics, such as values like pi and arctangent, and used these advanced mathematics when designing and orienting their buildings. Such an impressive knowledge of advanced mathematics and the people of Ur's ability to incorporate that into their ziggurat only adds to its grandeur. The Great Ziggurat of Ur was a marvelous structure. And despite the fact that we know very little about the people who constructed it, or even what it looked like when it was finished, the Great Ziggurat of Ur is still one of the most impressive structures in the ancient world, and one of the few that would stand the test of time. Southern modern-day Iraq is not exactly a tranquil place either, either now or 4,000 years ago. 
and next week we will take a look at the history of the ziggurat and the city of Ur once the ziggurat was completed. But before we go today, you might be thinking to yourself, now wait a second, last week Matt mentioned something about this wonder being inspired by history's most famous tower. He didn't so much as mention anything about a tower in this episode. And you would be correct. As I was researching the great ziggurat of Ur, I came across a fascinating comparison. One which I sadly didn't have time to incorporate into this first episode. But one which I will start our next show with. Sadly, I'm going to have to take this next week off, as I will be out of town for a few days, as this week is mine and Mrs. 21's wedding anniversary. But when I come back in two weeks, we will see how the Great Ziggurat of Ur might have been inspired by the Great Ziggurat of Eridu, or as it's more famously known as, the Tower of Babel. <laughs>